Rough Trade is giving away a third of the first three months of the Rough Trade Club plus new music membership exclusively to 101 Part-Time Jobs listeners. Become a member of Rough Trade Club New Music and you'll receive the Rough Trade Album of the Month straight to your door every month on an exclusive vinyl pressing with bonus material. Club members have received exclusive pressings of albums from Sufjan Stevens, Sprints, The Last Dinner Party, English Teacher and Over Mono, just to name a few, this past year alone. Sign up using the promo code CLUB101POD and you'll get Rough Trade's Album of the Month, Camera Obscura's Look to the East, Look to the West for a third of the usual price. By signing up, you'll be getting Rough Trade's exclusive issue of the album on opaque purple in a gatefold sleeve plus a bonus CD containing five demos. Don't want the album of the month but still want all the benefits? Sign up to the standard tier using Club 101 Pod and you'll still get the first month free. You'll also get free shipping on all orders, 10% off at the bar and on secondhand vinyl in store and exclusive access to sold out Rough Trade events. So don't hang around. Head to roughtrade.com slash club and sign up with the code CLUB101POD. That's CLUB101POD and claim money Money off Rough Trade's album of the month today. This offer is for UK residents only. Do you play in bands? I did for the longest time. And I wish that I knew that DistroKid was a thing. I don't even think it existed back then. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. When you get DistroKid, you can see a DistroKid bank and withdraw your earnings. You get notified when you've earned royalties and you can withdraw via the app. And you can even check your streaming stats on Spotify Spotify and Apple. Get 30% off your first year on DistroKid by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. 30% off for your first year. That's not bad. We know it's a tough world out there. Why don't you make it easier for yourself? And to get 30% off that free year as an artist where you get 100% of your royalties and earnings, go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash 101pod. All right, stay with me. I'll be right back after this. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you.
You're listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs. It's the podcast where I speak to bands and artists about the nuts and bolts of what they do, including some stories of old part-time jobs. On today's episode, I speak to Wondery land resider and Maori heritage Jen Cloa, whose sixth album, I Am The River and The River Is Me, is out Friday. And this is a good Cora roll that we had. Cora roll, Maori for chat. And there's lots more to be learned here. If you like me and you're a novice in indigenous New Zealand and Australian heritage, the unceded lands of Melbourne, the Maori culture, Jen Cloa is going to teach us some things. Cheers to 2000 Trees who support the podcast. They've just made a massive announcement to their lineup, which now includes Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes, American Football, 100 Reasons, Rival Schools, The Bronx, The Wonder Years, Bob Villain, Black Honey, Joyce Manor, Martha. There are so many great bands playing at 2003's festival this July in Cheltenham, just a few hours away from London on the train. If you want to go but haven't got your tickets yet, you can use the voucher code 101POD to get 20 quid off the price of a full ticket. That's 101POD at 2003'sFestival.co.uk. It's a great festival. I've been going for years. I've played, I've reviewed it for magazines. I've just generally hung out and slept in a car. Won't be doing that again, but I will be going back to 2000 Trees this July. Hopefully see you there. Here's Jen Cloa on 101 part-time jobs. Go well. Cheers! You know, for you, I guess, I guess a good place to start is you've been doing it for a substantial amount of time now. Has it got easier? <laughs> is easier even the word is that a cop out is that a cop out of a word no no I think that's a great question because you kind of hope that it does don't you I mean that that's what you'd hope I think what gets easier is I just have more of an idea of how to do it all you know like I can sort of look at the process of recording an album getting all of the visual collateral together that we need today think about you know touring assemble a team because I manage myself you know I have a booking agent I have a label here in um, Australia and a label in the UK um, and then booking agents in different territories so I guess that side of it feels easier in that I'm not doing it for the first time which is scary you know that's a really big undertaking and it's taken me years and years and years of putting out albums not just for myself but for others through the record label that myself and Courtney Barnett started here a decade ago now called Milk Records so I did a lot of managing to some extent bands through the label and helping them with being able to work out what you need to do once you've got the album done because that's really the easy bit isn't it you know, we're like, oh, yeah, great, I've recorded an album, now I'll just put it out. But what I've discovered is it's much better to take your time and really think it through and get some strategies and some help. So, yeah, it's easier in that regard. Long story short is that the workload, sadly, does not become 
less. And I think even artists who might have, you know, great management, the really wonderful, successful artists that you see out there who are doing something rare and interesting have a huge hand. They're not just sitting back drinking pina coladas by the pool. They're very much involved in steering, you know, the trajectory of their career. That seems really transparent at the moment. Billie Eilish is a huge sort of purveyor of, 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 of that spirit. You know, Billie Eilish is directing the music videos, the style, the album covers. That's very transparent. I mean, social media, of course, is, is sort of kind of forcing, if you're not posting, then the algorithm's going to mess you up. And so I, I wonder if that transparent, you know, have you seen that transparency widen in the last few years about how artists operate? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think a big factor in that transparency is just how much more access fans have to their favourite artists. So, you know, social platforms and networking um, have enabled us to I guess, pull down some of the walls that major labels might have wanted to build up that mystique around an artist. I mean, there are artists who still manage to uphold that mystique. Someone like PJ Harvey um, is a great example of never, you never get like good old PJ down on the farm, you know, <laughs> um, and, and Bjork as well. They have this wonderful sense of great art and you know their their private lives are something very private but I think they also come from a different time I mean they've become icons they've survived the music industry and we must always remember that but they've also had major label support and they came up through a time where major labels still to a large extent were gatekeepers. So what's changed, as we all know, is that there's just far less, more gate, there's less gatekeeping, there's more music, there's more niche, and as a result, you're more obscure. And that becomes, I think, the greatest barrier for many artists is just there's so much how will I ever be discovered or, and when I say discovered, I don't mean to cheapen it. It's like, how will I ever make a living? How will I ever be able to tour? How will I ever be able to make this into something that I do so I don't have to have all of those smaller jobs around the edges? Yeah. Um, and it becomes even trickier when you look at a country like Australia or Aotearoa, New Zealand, because of the huge amount of distance and the expense of travelling to the UK or Europe or the US or Canada, um, it almost becomes <clears throat> a fantasy, really, you know, and, and it's always been, it's always, I've written songs about it, you know. There was a song on my last album called The Great Australian Bite, yeah. spelled B-I-T-E, which is a play on B-I-G-H-T, which is an actual part of the continent, Um but, yeah, just, just how hard it is, um, how epically hard it is to, you know, be able to have an international career when you live so far from the rest of the world. What do you think that's really meant for you in the way that you've operated over the years? You know, looking at PJ Harvey and Bjork, for me growing up, it was, I mentioned, you know, Streetline Manifesto and Catch-22, these mostly US bands against me. 
hot water music bands that would tour till the wheels came off yeah who were you looking towards for for you know a, a way to do it you know, there's a, enough heart in the records and then there's enough organization and execution of of the way you want to play to people and the way you want to get around and the way you want to also a visual thing you know record covers photo shoots where, where have you been with that who, who have you kind of looked looked towards and how have you seen have you seen yourself in yeah that? I mean to be honest I've always really struggled with that side of things with having a really clear idea of like how I want things to look that visual part of the process you know and a really important part particularly now is is the visual element of a release and telling that story visually and I think I I really look to my contemporaries like people in my town who were doing it because that was real that was something I could aspire to I had no idea how PJ Harvey or Bjork might run the show but you know I'd go along and see their their amazing stage shows and and aspire to something you know as spectacular as that were I to ever have that kind of financial backing behind my music absolutely but I think the reality and what made it easier was to look around and see who's on a kind of level playing field that's doing stuff that I want to do and how are they doing it and I actually created um a series of masterclasses and workshops which ran for a decade. I just, I, I wound them up last year um, called I Manage My Music and they were basically um, weekend workshops and then they became online masterclasses during the pandemic where I would invite independent artists in my community um, who were having some level of success either here or here and overseas and ask them, like, how did you do it? And just invite other artists, you know, from our community into the room. And the amazing thing about it, Giles, was, you know, I never had to really advertise that, you know. It, it just always had this flow uh, and people wanting to pay money to come and hear an artist speak. And I think what, you know, and this sort of ties in and wraps up neatly the question you asked, I think what made it so appealing was that another artist was talking, you know, I was there talking to it. You know, it wasn't some, like, industry hack or, you know, you know what I mean, like those yeah, awful yeah. panels that you go to and there's someone there and you're like, you don't even, you're out of touch, you know. They, they could, you know, people could sense that we were having a level playing field <clears throat> conversation. And that's amazing. The thing that's, you know, this is nearly, I think this is around my 200th episode the thing that comes up time after time and, you know, no hyperbole, it really makes my heart swell, really, because I think music's, I don't think, you know, I, that's almost like a shy way of saying it. I know music and talking to people about music. That's one of the greatest joys of, of my life. One of the things that keeps on coming over and over is a community, that community element of sharing information. It's like what humans are supposed to have been doing forever. It's kind of ridiculous. We kind of have to fight against this hyper individualism. And the thing that really strikes me is that like living well as a musician, making good art and operating in a way that doesn't ruin your life, it shouldn't be a secret. Well, I think that's it. And I think, you know, knowledge isn't knowledge unless it's shared. And I think it's really important that we, we pass these things along to those people coming up 
because I wish there were people when I was coming up that were running those sorts of workshops. Maybe they were and I just didn't know about it, you know. But I think what you touch on, you know, like what we're watching at the moment around the world is is the fall of capitalism, how it's failed us, how it's raped, you know, the, the earth and the waters and there's floods in Aotearoa and earthquakes over here. It's just like this kind of never-ending unfolding of, of what capitalism has delivered and in the case of countries like Australia and, and Aotearoa and New Zealand, you know, colonisation. But living in a collective isn't anything new. And if you look to Indigenous people and Indigenous knowledges, um, you know, there are still people very much in touch with living, you know, in a collective with your community. Um, and so I think that that's probably why independent music, despite how tough it's been, despite, you know, the fact that we're in a global recession that no one wants to call a global recession, um, <clears throat> that artists got absolutely poleaxed during the pandemic, despite all of those things, there's still uh, an independent music scene and there's still new music coming out and there's still artists going and touring and I think that that really does just lend itself to the fact that you know we work together on the ground and and try and make things possible and that really sets us up really nicely to talk about I am the river and the river is me how yeah. in touch you've been with the Wondery now I don't know much about the Wondery I'm learning about it and that's because of you. Oh, cool. Take me through the sort of the beginnings of, of that thinking and, and how you started uh, getting in touch with that, wanting to, to be in touch with that. Yeah, no, great question. Um, yeah, well, I guess, you know, something that has become very commonplace here in Australia is um, an acknowledgement of country. And so you'll often, you know, go to an event and, you know, wherever you are in in you know, Australia, um, the person, you know, holding the event will will say something like, I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation um, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. So the Wurundjeri people are just, I guess, one of the tribes probably, um, I think in the Kulin Nation, which is Greater Victoria, there's five or six. Um, and, yeah, I mean, they never ceded sovereignty so you know sadly um the crown came and decided that you know no one lived here and um you know that's just what happened you know land was stolen and culture was lost language was lost and so it's really just kind of you know on, on this album acknowledging first and foremost that I benefit from it you know, because I live here on these lands and I have a nice house and I get to walk around and there's a reason for that, you know, there's a reason for that. And I think we all went through a really big shift and upheaval in realising really all around the world and particularly in nation states like the United States of America, Canada, Aotearoa, New Zealand, Australia, which were all colonised by your marvellous empire, <laughs> um, you know, in those in those nation states, you're dealing with a similar thing, which is loss of land, loss of language, loss of culture. But the wonderful thing is, is that, you know, we're still here. And when I say we, my story and how it kind of interweaves with this is that uh, my mother and my 
grandmother and great-grandmother uh, and beyond, uh, Māori. And Māori, it's like Maltzi Tung, so Māori, Māori are the um, Indigenous people of New Zealand. And so the beautiful thing about the Māori is that they were really good at keeping a verbal account of every generation that came through. So I can actually look at a piece of paper that traces my matrilineal ancestry back um, 700 years to the first canoe that landed, you know, from the Oceania. Wow. Um, yeah, it's pretty wild. Like I don't think too many people can look at a piece of paper and go, oh, all the way back 700 years, that's when, you know, that particular family line arrived on this massive land. And so, yeah, probably over the last, I mean, I've always known I'm Māori. My mother was a really well-known Māori scholar and a senior professor at the Auckland University for Māori Studies. So it wasn't that I didn't grow up around that knowledge, but because she moved here to Australia and I was born and raised here, I didn't have that direct connection with my culture. And so this album, in a way, by using the Māori language um, through some of the songs um, is a way of sort of reconnecting, I guess, um, and and coming back home to a really important part of my identity. Yeah, so that's kind of the overall picture. And I think just to sort of, you know, answer your question around Wurundjeri is, and at that particular, there's a particular song on the album called Being Human, where I really talk about growing up on these lands, but also being Indigenous. And what does that mean? If I'm Indigenous and my people were also colonised by the Crown, what is my responsibility here on these lands where the same thing happened to these people? And am I willing to stand in solidarity um, and just acknowledge, you know, the struggle? You know that's that's still here today, and I think you know bit of a bit of an epic. It's it's very hard to kind of get these into small sound bites. But what I will finish on is statistics, and statistically, um, you'll find the same thing in Canada, is that Maori and Aboriginal women here, First Nations women in Australia, are the most imprisoned people in the world per capita. Wow, and I think that really speaks to. A much deeper problem is, you know, the trauma that and the loss that would see the most important people, women, um, you know, ending up in the prison system. So, you know, it's a heavy topic, Giles. What hard to want, part-time jobs, what hard to want, part-time jobs, what hard to want, part-time jobs, what hard to want, part-time jobs. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Talk about that responsibility to see where you come from and, and who you are. That's really as important as you make it for yourself. And that is naturally going to be an inspiration for people around you. Yeah, I mean, I think it's great. I think it's really great to kind of think about, you know, 
who are you and where do you come from and who are you people, um, no matter where you are. It just, it just, I think it grounds you, you know, it grounds you in a way, doesn't it, you know, to have some sense of the people that you come through. You're literally speaking their language on this album. Well, it, it's my language. So I am Māori. Right. So Sorry. That's a... That's okay. I think it can be really confusing for people, particularly when you're not living here, you know, on these lands. But the Wurundjeri people are Australian and they're the... the um, the First Nations people of Australia, which are Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island people, um, are not my people. You know, I live on their lands here in Australia. My people are the Māori um, and they're the Indigenous people of New Zealand. Um, and so on this album I'm speaking my matrilineal language, which is Māori, um, and, and those are my people. So I'm Indigenous, um, but I'm not Indigenous to where I live, which is here in Melbourne, Australia. Yeah. It's interesting because we, you know, you can only know what you know. And so you have to push yourself to really try and understand how other people think and kind of, you know, really for me, for me, the way that sort of speaks is sort of letting go of not necessarily an ego thing, but it's like what you think, you know, <laughs> you know, what you were taught in school. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's one of the lines in, in um, being human is, you know, being human is letting go uh, of what you think, you know. You know, Great it's line. listening, you know, being human is listening. Yeah. And I and I think that, you know, if you if you're always open to learning and to getting things wrong, um, but at least trying, you know, at least I think yeah. there's something much more exciting about people who are willing to wade into things that they don't know and conversations that they don't understand with a genuine desire to learn than than being scared of everything and, and not finding out more. And I think for a lot of people, you know, we we get scared, you know, we don't we don't want to get things wrong. So it's great when you just, you know, even, you know, yourself just going, all right, well, let's just talk about, you know, a culture that, you know, I don't really know anything about. You know, I don't know anything about, you know, the indigenous people of of like in detail of Canada, you know, like there's so much we don't know. And so it's always a learning, isn't it? I love that. I'm I'm big into that. I think um, in in my experience, you know, when you when you are that person, you're like, I want to learn. Quite often in that social environment, what that uh, sort of the lowest common denominator kind of ends up being that you're the dumbest person in the room, and you're especially in a male environment, um, the, the where you kind of get pointed at. You're like, you don't know anything, and then you're the butt of the joke, and then from that, you know, you're the lowest rung of the ladder of the pecking order. You know, there's a big social projection of that it's, it's unfortunate it's so unfortunate because i want to fucking learn i want to i want to know stuff that i don't know about and if that means sort of putting myself out there that i don't know everything in fact in the world <laughs> you know yeah i i feel that I, I wonder if the answer to that is surrounding yourself with like-minded people yeah and i think also if you if you walk into to places and and you know are willing to ask questions and you know, willing to learn, um, those people will see you, you know. The people will see your willingness to learn. I think that's a really attractive quality. So I think in a way you sort of start to attract like-minded people, you know. Yeah, I was listening to Natalie Bergman this morning, Mercy, and, you know, tracking back a little bit about how, like, you, you've been, you've operated and, 
you know, I listened to that record, Mercy. I, I don't know if you know it. I don't. And it's, it's an amazing album. That she, there was some family tragedy and it's, a, it's an album of grief. And I think there's, I think, I, I don't think I'm lying when I say that she wrote a lot of it in her mind before putting it onto mm. instruments. And it made, it's such a personal record. And I, so I, you know, I was sort of ruminating about the friction of having such personal art and then sharing it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and sharing it and packaging up in a in in your way, hopefully a way that you agree with when it happens. You know how how's your how's your kind of confidence and your your style, your outlook of of, of that stuff been over the years? I know we did touch on this earlier, but well, I mean, I think that if it's not scary, you know, if you don't kind of go, oh, this is should I share this? then I don't know if you're doing your job, you know, as a, as a songwriter. I think there has to be some level of risk, you know, and that's what that's what makes it exciting for me is those songs where you go, I'm actually going to say this. I'm actually going to put this on a page and then I'm going to sing it. And people respond to that bravery, I think. People love that you're saying the stuff that most people probably don't want to say yeah um, so yeah I think it's that's the beautiful thing about art um, particularly music you know most of us listen to albums these days on our own through our headphones um, probably in transit you know and to have the privilege of being in someone's ears for 40 minutes and having that undivided attention literally whispering into their ear I want to make sure that I'm saying stuff that makes them feel less alone and like they are given some clues about how to walk through life. You know, like I wouldn't say necessarily helping anyone, (laughs) Um, but I think it's more that thing of going, you know what, we all actually have really, really similar thoughts and feelings and you're not alone in them. And if I can share my story with you, um, I think there is something really special about music in that regard. At what point do you think that you prioritise that and you realise that was one of the biggest things you're here to do? Is is there a moment? Is there a time that you thought, you know, and, and I and I, you know, 101 part-time jobs, you come out of school and it is like, so what are you gonna do? Where are you gonna work? I'm 31 and this is a conversation I have all the time. And it this podcast has been a saving grace for me because I've sort of made it my job now to do that. But you know, that sort of by accident, I couldn't have seen that. With that in, in context, was there a time? you know it could have been 18 it could have been 28 that you had a time where you thought okay this is this is really what I'm gonna you know put the hours of my day into yeah absolutely I mean I came to music pretty late I went to to acting school I went to NIDA uh, which is the school that Kate Blanchett famously graduated from she's probably our best known international star Brilliant actor. Um, and if you've seen Tar, you know, she's absolutely brilliant in that I film. It's, yeah, I mean, the film itself, interesting. 
Kate Blanchett, incredible performance. Um, but yeah, uh, so it was while I was at acting school, um, and I was about 19, 20, 21 when I went through that school, um, I picked up my first secondhand acoustic guitar and I would go and write really terrible songs in the girls' change rooms. And that's when I got the bug, you know. I was like, oh, this is cool. Like I don't have to wait for someone to call up and give me a job as an actor. I can write my own stories and then book a show at a cafe or something at that point and go and play to people. Great, great. And you feel the chemistry change in the room when you're doing something. You feel it, you know. And I think that's what always just kind of egged me on and kept me working more and more toward the goal of one day making an album. But I didn't put out my first album until I was like 32, which is like geriatric when you think about the music industry today. But, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm really grateful for it. And I think that it's been a long love affair, you know, like I've had moments where I don't want to be married to music anymore and I want to leave it and, you know, we've all quit music a thousand times, you know, I quit, you know, and then a few weeks later you're like writing a song. But I think we all have the right to quit music because it's a really hard path and, you know, I think, like any good relationship, you have moments where you're totally in love with each other and then moments where you're, you know, really struggling. At the moment I'm going through a phase where I'm in love with music again. I'm really proud of this record and I'm really proud of all of the video clips I've made and the live show that we're going to be touring actually in the yeah. UK and Europe in June. Um, yeah, it, it, it's a, I think, I think what I'm saying in all of his jars is I'm glad I never stopped. I'm glad I never stopped because everything we do in life, if you stick with something, it's a journey, you know, it really is. It's got peaks and valleys, you know, mm-hmm. and I don't think there's ever a point where you go, oh, right, this is it, I'm doing it. You know, there's all sorts of doubt, you know. I think it's only recently, maybe in the last sort of last couple of albums where I've gone, oh, I think I kind of get this songwriting thing now. Like I trust my intuition. I actually, yeah. I, I think I actually know now what a good song is because it feels good to me. <laughs> Whereas in the past it was a little bit of a, is this any good feeling? You know, and I think even that takes some time to start to trust yourself. You think of writers. If someone releases their first novel at 32, you're like, oh, that's young. That's a young novelist. <laughs> True. What's, what's the difference? Well, I mean, I think we can't overlook the obvious, which is young is beautiful, you know, fresh, beautiful faces sell, you know, records and uh, they look good in video clips and they look great on magazine covers. Um, And I think it is one of those professions where your face um, is important. You know, we don't think of a single iconic artist and go, I wonder what they look like. You know, it's like (laughs) we know. Mm. Um, Whereas writing, I think it doesn't really matter too much. Writing, directing, um, producing, anything kind of behind the scenes, you can really come to that stuff um, a bit later in life. I think the only thing about writing is if you put out some incredible novel when you're 25, you become like a Zadie Smith or, you know, you become like a legend, right? Yeah. Um, so there is that aspect of it of, of, of like, oh, they're so young and they're such a genius, you know. 
But I think, yeah, in the music industry, traditionally, and I still think today, um, youth and beauty sells. And we all love a bit of youth and we all love a bit of beauty. I want more, you know, <laughs> everyone releasing records. Well, I think I think that's really important. And I think that what you touch on there is when you're 50, Giles, you're probably not going to want to listen to someone who's 30 talking about whatever they're going through in their life. Maybe not as much as people around your own age group. There's just things shift, you know. I think I've definitely know over the progression of five albums what I was writing about on my first album, what I'm writing about today, are vastly different. But there's no way I could have written, you know, the album that I'm writing now, you know, or just written now. Um, and so it is really important that we have all different ages and generations because we're going to want to hear different things at different stages in our life. I'm looking towards my Harry Nilsson period of really putting the lime in the coconut, <laughs> you know, and really speaking to me at 60. In June, you're going to, you're playing at the Jazz Cafe in London. We are. Jazz Cafe is an amazing venue. You know, it's, it's going to be very cool. I'm really looking forward to it. Well, here's something that's really exciting, Giles, is um, on a video clip on my album, my, that song we were talking about, Being Human, a Māori performing arts group. They're all across Aotearoa, New Zealand. Um, they're called Kapahaka. So it's just a way of going, oh, that's a song and dance group. You've seen the New Zealand rugby team do a haka before they play yes, yeah, a game, yeah. right? Kapahaka have, you know, men and women and they're usually dre- dressed in like traditional kākahu costume. Um, but there's an amazing kapahaka in London called Nāti Rānana. And Ranana is the Māori word for London. So the tribe of London, Nati, is usually, you know, your tribe. Uh, and they're going to jump up with me at the Jazz Cafe, um, which I think Great. will be pretty incredible, actually, um, for an audience to feel the power of um, that kind of energy just right there in front of your face. In fact, I remember when my band, my current band, who will be touring with me, uh, over in, in um, the UK and Europe, uh, the first time they saw the kapahaka that are on this al- on, on the, my album um, in, a, in a performance space um, when we were filming clips, their jaws were on the ground. You know, you could just see them going, what the holy hell is this? An, an energy in the room. It is, it is, it is, you just have to see it. You can't really describe it. There's just something I think in every human being when you see a kapahaka where you just tap into something that's like fire, you know, like our human fire. That's what it feels like, you know, that fieriness that's in all of us that we probably have to quash down in our lives in order to, you know, survive. Jen, thanks so much for being up for this. You know, I really appreciate the time. This, is, this has been brilliant. And I can't wait for the record. I can't wait to listen to it in full. Oh, cheers, Giles. It's been really fun having a, um, a korero, which is the Māori word for chat. It's been fun having a chat with you. Uh, just to end with, you know, I, I love hearing, well, I myself has made lots of mistakes in my places of work. 
I've smashed lots of glasses behind the bar. I've, you know, caused my bosses a multitude of troubles, small troubles, but troubles all the same. <laughs> I wonder if you could give me a story of, of a, of a work gaff, a previous oh. work gaff, or, or, you know, if, if I've got if, one, Charles. Shortly after graduating from NIDA, the um, prestigious acting school that I was talking about earlier, um, I got a job as a traveling saleswoman. And that would take me out to, you know, regional shopping centers um, during the school holidays. Uh, or sometimes I'd go like far out to sort of like big shows in the countryside. And I would sell magic pens that change color. Yeah. And I was at a big shopping centre. I was at a big shopping centre out in the western suburbs of Sydney. Um, And I had it, I was on a stage, I had a table, I had a Madonna headset. (laughs) And I was selling these magic pens, right? This was a lucrative job, by the way, like terrible job. But I'd only have to work a weekend if I did really well and then I'd have three weeks off. So that's why I was doing it, wow, right? good on you. But um, I'm there, I'm showing, it's just before Christmas, so huge crowds coming through. Got my acting degree so I can, you know, hold an audience. <laughs> and I'm showing them, like, this is how these pens change colour. I reckon there was about what we, we called it the an edge in, in sales. You call it an edge when you've got a lot of people around. You're about to close the deal. Um, and I could just see people like, I was like, I'm going to make a killing, you know, like this is going to be big. And just as I was winding up my sales pitch, the seat part of the chair that I was sitting on just fell through and I just disappeared. You know, disappeared through the chair. You couldn't see me. And then I couldn't get out. I was stuck. And so through my Madonna headset, I had to say, could someone come and help me out with my chair? <laughs> and this poor man kind of came up and, like, embarrassed, you know, embarrassed, helped me out of the chair. And, of course, by the time I got up, everyone had gone. I just <laughs> fled, they'd fled the scene of the crime, of the Christmas magic pen crime. That's a fantastic story, Jen. That's, fan- that's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Character building, right? Character building. And, like, how boring if I didn't have a story like that to to drop for you, you know? Totally. If you were just a, a seriously successful magic pen salesperson, then where would the joy be? Well, I'd be a lot richer. Let's face it. <laughs> more money, more problems. We all know that. <laughs> Thanks so much, Jen. I can't wait for the record. Yay. Thank you, Giles. So there was Jen Cloer here on 101 Part-Time Jobs. If you're in the UK, you can catch Jen on tour in June, including that very special Kappa Haka group that will be joining them on stage on the 13th of June at London's Jazz Cafe. Thanks for listening to 101 Part-Time Jobs. We're almost up to 200 episodes, so cheers for listening and subscribing and reviewing if you can. I think all that stuff helps the algorithm, so if you fancy doing that, please do. And see you next week for a new episode. Pora Paroki, as they say in Maori for goodbye. I've been working all day for me, mate, on the side. Running around like a blue ass fly. I've been working, yeah, I've been working all day for me, mate.
This is a Mighty Moon Media Podcast. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.